The Recruitment Mentors community is now completely open for you to join. It's the meeting point for recruitment professionals who want to take their development and growth into their own hands. Whether you're starting out your career or five years into it, our mission is to empower you to accelerate your development with the most successful, collective, current and responsive teachings from outside of your four walls. You can now join the community for just £39 per month by going directly to our website at recruitmentmentors.com. That's recruitmentmentors.com. Your new mentors are waiting to meet you. Welcome to the Recruitment Mentors podcast. My name is Hisham Azuz. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Rory Ferguson, who joined the recruitment industry in the 1990s after serving as an army officer. And over the last two decades, Rory has led and grown multiple teams across several brands, such as Harvey Nash, the Hydrogen Group, Lawrence Harvey Group, Petroplan, and more recently, RP International. Rory is extremely passionate about successful leadership in recruitment and in the recent months has been helping business owners maximize their recovery and growth potential by delivering executive coaching, performance mentoring, and strategic advice to recruitment leaders and emerging talent. Rory, thank you for coming on the podcast. Hisham, wow, what an intro. I'm not sure uh, where I go from there, but yeah, thank, thank you very much. Good to, um, good to join you. So thanks for asking me. No, I'm, I'm excited to unpack the journey that you've uh, been on. But where we always like to, to start is, in, in your opinion, what yeah. characteristics and traits do you think make up a highly successful recruitment consultant? Wow. Um, okay, so um, the people that I've worked with uh, that have been most successful, I guess the most sort of the common denominators are they're massively goal-driven, okay? And it doesn't matter what that goal is. Um, you know, when I joined, it was all it was all about the cash. I think it's less about that now, potentially, but they need to be goal-driven. Um, some of the best people I've worked with, you know, as an example, some guy wanted to set up a bar in southern Spain at some point. Now, I can, you know, I can use that. There's someone's motivation as long as they've got that because when recruitment is great, it's awesome. <clears throat> everyone loves a high five earning loads of commission that's fantastic um and when it's bad it's really bad you know it's it's uh it's tough so you need that sense of a goal i think to to bring you back in and and uh and keep you focused in in the bad times as well as the good times i think expertise is probably my next piece so um important to invest the time to to be a credible expert in what you do <clears throat> that helps with credibility it also helps with your network um you know, I think people always talk about hard work. That's, that's almost a given. And I think in the early years, there aren't many shortcuts. So, look, if you've got a goal, if you're prepared to be an expert, um, if you're prepared to put the hard miles in, um, and if you're prepared to listen to those around you and absorb um, and work to a, work to a process that, um, that is proven, um, then that, that, that's probably the ingredients that make up that that I can think of that, that probably make up the, the best recruiters out there. Right. So as I said you before we started this, I, I haven't had a ton of people from the, the Harvey Nash brand. So yeah, I guess yeah. it'd be great if you could just, obviously you joined, you joined uh, that company in 1994. Yeah, it's gone on to be yeah. a, a huge, sorry, it's gone on to be <laughs> a, 
obviously yeah, a huge name in the recruitment industry. So I guess yeah. before I start talking about yeah, early days for you in, in recruitment, um, right. what, what did that company look like when you joined it? How big was it? Like, I don't know, what, oh, what wow. did it look, okay. look like? Look, massively, massively different. Um, I mean, I joined, I think it was, uh, I think it was 40 to 50 people when I joined. Um, okay. We were, we were in an office in Covent Garden. Um, and uh, I think a lot of that size and shape of that business and how it then, how I then saw it grow was part of my, you know, that generated my desire to then go try and go on similar journeys in, in the future, actually. Um, it, it punched well above its weight. I mean, I remember we were always trying to take on the likes of Michael Page and, and companies like that. Um, it was a company that had real, a real sense of, uh, I guess, purpose. Um, uh, and, and we felt we were on a journey, you know, it was privately owned. Um, there were originally four owners of that business, but there were, there were three that really went on and played an executive role within it. And it was great being part of that. It was a, it was an amazing journey. I was, I was an IT contract recruiter uh, into investment banking. Um, and uh, yeah, we felt we, we, we genuinely felt at that point that we could, we could be the, we could be the best in the market. Yeah. Love that. And so just for context, you stayed there for 12 years before yeah. you, Left. So that I guess you you're plan, yeah. <laughs> you were you were, um you're talking a bit about it there, but what what I'm really curious about is mm. is is what the sort of and you're talking about there in terms of you felt like you had a pur- purpose and they they yeah. had high standards. It seemed like so from your point of view, looking back, what do you think were the sort of three non-negotiables of the sort of Harvard Nash, Nash culture that everyone abided by? Do you think that sort of really what were the ingredients of that culture? Do you think that everyone followed and bought into the yeah gave it the sort of real recipe to to become a great great business yeah okay um well we, we were really into brands you know brands um was massively important i mean one of the one of the unique things about that brand certainly at that point was um we were working uh we were working executive search at a senior level um, so we had excellent profile. Um, we had the ear of decision makers within within companies. Um, so there was always a big play on on representing the brand appropriately. Um, good packaging, I guess, and everything that we did was really important. Uh, look, hard work was the second one. We were all grafting. Um, you know, back back then, um, it, it, you know, everyone was putting a, a big shift, and I did. I remember my managers now and the guys I sat with, I can visualize it now. And, you know, I was doing probably a couple of nights a week till nine, um, researching, mapping companies. Uh, so, so hard work was a given. And I think it was a, there was no, there was no fixed sort of clever process. There was no kind of sophisticated way of working as such, but it was very success driven. So we really mm. celebrated success. Um, and, and it was quite a good, team attitude towards that so um we yeah we we really we really celebrated the success and and the growth of the company you know i think everyone um you you felt that everyone who was in that business we even though we weren't we felt like shareholders we felt like you know we felt like we had a um you know we were on that journey with the owners um those those are probably the the three things for me it was it was a great journey to be a part of them 
Yeah. So, so I'm interested in that. So let, let's just let's just sort of put a bit of a magnifying glass on what that final point that you just said, because I feel like yeah. in especially over the last year, I mm. think that that sort of purpose piece or like me feeling like I'm someone that's really playing for the logo and that's really important for me and the company logo that I play for is really important to me, which means that when I'm feeling really down and it's just me in my living room, calling people, getting rejected, dealing with this sort of trials and tribulations of being a recruiter, but this time I'm on my own. I haven't got the the sort of culture to soak up to pick me back up. Yeah. I guess you can draw on all your experience here, but I guess I'm just really interested in that because I think that's what sets apart sort of good companies to great companies, right? Where you can actually really get your people bought into like being part of that journey. So I guess what, like, I don't know, how, how does that ha- happen? Or like how, maybe where do people go wrong? Or I don't know, like how uh, can companies actually tap into that? Because I, I don't know how many companies actually successfully do that, but there's companies that come to mind in the industry that I think it does feel like, like all the team are like so excited to be on this journey yeah. and they're playing for the logo. Yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah. that's really difficult for a lot of recruitment business owners to to truly achieve. So you clearly felt that you're still speaking about <laughs> those days so so far um yeah you're still speaking about it in that way so i guess i don't know what what comes up for you when you think how how companies have achieved that or do achieve that um i i, I would probably remember less of that detail from from harvey nash but i certainly subsequently worked with businesses um that did it really well um and um I, th- I think the main thing, the emphasis is on on the leadership really to set a vision um, or, or or yeah share a, a point on a map that um, represents that where we're trying to get to. Mm. I think I think if you can get people on on that journey, um, you know, ha- however however good you are at a job, you know, there's always a distinction between skill and will. Will is always so much more powerful. You know, and if you're able to get people on a journey and they really believe in you, they believe in where you're where you're trying to get to. And this this is in all walks of life, actually. I definitely had this in the army too at a very early age. If people buy into that sense of where you're trying to get to, um, you know, you very quickly that that's unbeatable. People get on the bus, they get on the journey, and that and that's where you mm. unlock things like discretionary effort. So, you know, you're you've got a certain type of individual that is there because they have to be, you know, they're doing the nine to five, whatever it is they're doing, or they're in recruitment terms, it might be nine to six or whatever. They're doing their calls. They're doing what they have to. But as soon as you can unlock discretionary effort, it's the kind of the day job plus. So, Ooh, so what, I like that. yeah. So it's the kind of the stuff that they're going to do in, a, in addition, you know, and that, that I think is the secret source of a lot of these companies that have, that have really nailed growth and progression, particularly over the last five years is that engagement piece, how you get people on the journey and, and how you get everyone, you know, busting their guts daily to, to make a difference. Yeah, I love that phrase, discretionary effort. I think that that's, yeah, that's really interesting. So I guess let's flip this then on what, where do you think people go wrong and sort of lead people not getting bought into them? So you've spoken about, yeah, leadership and yeah, having a vision and these types of things. What what typically drives people the other way and sort of yeah pushes them in the way where they they don't buy into it or typical things that stop them from tapping into that discretionary effort in their in their teams. Yeah, so so 
I think some of those things are, as you'd expect, are sort of the direct opposite of what we've talked about. And there's probably a couple of other things as well. Um, I know people get really disengaged, and, I, and I've seen this throughout, actually, in my career, where I think in recruitment for middle management, which is, which is potentially the most important tier in any business, you know, your, your mm. middle management are the, are the guys... Um, who are the difference between generating scale and not, and that and that's through performance and it's generating future leaders as well. And when you've got a, a, a cohort at that level that are just driving inputs, as in they're driving activity, but it doesn't connect to outputs, mm. you know, I think I think that's where things start to fall down. I think if you're able to start with a goal, work out what your outputs are, and then relate your inputs to that in terms of driving that activity and everything then great. But I think, I think people get exhausted by focusing constantly on a short-term goal. So this is what we're trying to do today. This is what we're trying to do this week. They might look as far mm. as a month. I think if you can give people a sense of reconnecting, well, this is where we're trying to get to by the half year, guys. And this is where we're trying to get to by the end of the year. You know, even that, that's still not a massive uh, projection, but at least you're taking people's face out of the day-to-day and you're reconnecting them with that sense of purpose and why we're doing that. So I, I think that's a fairly key one. People feeling a sense of what they're doing is making a difference to a bigger goal. Mm, yeah. That, that, and that's, it, certainly one, that's certainly one thing. Yeah, it's, no, it's interesting you say that because having spoken to a lot of recruitment managers and leaders over the past couple of months, something that they've had to learn, and this has been quite common. Uh, I had a chat with someone today about this and like we were talking about how they've sort of learned to get the best out of their team in the sort of, in the, yeah, strange and different circumstances we found ourselves in. And the common thing that they've said is that in their meetings, they don't talk about numbers. They don't talk about the inputs. We're talking about, they they don't, they learned to not, maybe before in their reviews or monthly things, they would have been the main things they would have focused on. Like how many how many interviews you got this month for? How many yeah, yeah, how many yeah. how many clients you agreed terms of in these things? And actually, it seems like yeah that they're, they're, it's learning that actually no we we need to not talk about that and talk about how can I help you get to where you need to? And yeah, like brilliant. you said, remind reminding them it's what you just said. It's about look this is this is where we are today. Let's talk about maybe the areas that we can improve, things that you did well. Um, let's let's talk. Let's use this time to talk about where we're going on this journey rather yeah. than, yeah, talk about the KPIs you missed or the KPIs that you did hit, right? Yeah, I, I think I think just to set some context within that, um, I, w- I, would never, I would never disregard KPIs or inputs, okay? They have a role to play. Um, you know, it's a bit like um, Lewis Hamilton going out and doing his um, practice laps or his qualification um, and you saying, we're not going to give you any splits. We're not going to give you any segment times. We're not, you know, we're not going to give you any lap times. You, so, you need you need something there to ensure that you're you're on track. You're going in the Absolutely, right direction. Yeah. But I don't I don't think you want to have a disproportionate focus on that. Is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, I, I think the key thing is is if is if you can just you know make it outcome orientated, then you know that that's the way ahead. Yeah. So I know we've ended up talking a bit about leadership here, but I'm 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 interested to hear about sort of Rory the the recruiter, right? So. Okay. What I'm always interested in, so, so you spoke about Harvey Nash, 40, 50 person company when you joined. 
Mm. Um, and by the time you you left, you yeah, joined as a trainee, but then progressed to sort of leadership director level before before you um, left. So, I guess what I'm always intrigued about is that you're 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 in a very competitive environment, right? Not only with your competitors in your market, but competitive yeah. internally, right? Yeah. So what what I want to know, sort of in looking back, like why why do you think you was able to be the person that got the promotion and and not your peers? Like, why was you the person that was able to to yeah achieve the progression that you wanted to and and, and grab those opportunities internally with, with both hands? Because look, I think a lot of people that a lot of recruits that listen to this and a real common driver for people is progression, right? In in, yeah. in careers. So, and I think sometimes what we always talk about here is this sort of learning that yeah, you you if you if you're really serious about it, then you you have to be accountable to, to to getting it right, and that goes more than just delivering on your performance. And then expecting that your manager's going to go, do you want this promotion or do you want this right? So I'm always interested in that, particularly in environments which have ended up being yeah extremely high standards. You're in a in a business that's that would have grown so much. So why do you think you was able to to progress and and gain those promotions rather than some of your peers? Um. Okay, so I, I, I was personally always hungry to progress. I, I, I wanted to get on. I, I wanted to earn cash, um, and I, and I think there were a few of us that, uh, if I think back to that time, where that that was almost our sole driver was, you know, um, earning what we could. Um, career progression probably came as a result of that. Um, yeah. My background as I guess in the army and and uh, leading people probably helped just in terms of a from a confidence perspective and the ability to get people on board with a goal and a journey and try and motivate and 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 get people moving so <clears throat> when I made that move from being a consultant into managing you know one person two people then teams then then several teams and uh, divisions and businesses um that was probably a, a key part of it I, I i genuinely don't recall at that time there being any particular sophistication in, in terms of my approach i didn't get any input formal input into my leadership development until later i think i became like i'm still still absolutely a work in progress here so uh but but i had a step change in terms of my ability um you know probably after i left harvey nash the the, the the moving into a different sector, um, for example, um, forces you to ask, be much more inquisitive, ask more questions, mm. um, not being an expert in something. So you can't use your market knowledge to sort of paper over cracks. Um, you know, those are the kinds of things that really unlocked my potential in terms of asking better questions, therefore being a better influencer because I was listening more, better coaching, um, those were probably the things that, that probably had a, a far greater influence on on me in terms of my progression, and, th and then going on from there to do bigger meteor roles like Group MD at Lawrence Harvey and CEO and COO and things like that. Sure. Um, yeah, I mean Harvey Harvey Nash, great journey. It was a long it was a long time ago, Hisham. So I'm I'm kind of picking my brains to give you stuff of, of, <laughs> of real value, um, but it was it was really about really grafting um I, I i think the thing that we always did i should have mentioned this earlier that was drummed into us um was that there was a real difference between being a recruitment consultant and a recruitment agent mm. you know 
and consultants consult and agents transact. So we were always trying to seek uh, partnership wherever we could. And I think one of the challenges for people in, in this market, particularly in the UK right now, I think it's slightly different internationally, is that especially with the speed now with increased technology and tools and, and, and the competition of on-site teams and RPO, um, you know, it's a struggle sometimes to, to distinction between being a transactional recruiter, you know, almost becoming an administrator and actually pulling your head out of that and really influencing through being a good consultant. Yeah. Love that. So let, let's dive into what you just shared there. Cause this was actually one of the questions that I wrote down on sort of preparation for this. And it's something that came from a uh, recruiter. And, and the question is basically, yeah, it'd be interesting to find out around how you managed consultants in a division where you hadn't worked before as a consultant. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so just cause I think that, yeah, I think yeah, that's yeah, just yeah. so interesting. Right. So I think people listening to this may find themselves in that position yeah. or they may have a leadership opportunity, but it's in an organization and in the market they haven't sort of, yeah, worked in before. Cause as you know, typical route is if I'm a tech recruiter, construction recruiter, then I end yeah. up leading a construction team or whatever. Right. So yeah. 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 Well, it'd be great if you could talk about some of those learnings or how you had to adapt yeah, or what you had to learn the hard way. So look, I would encourage anyone um, who, who is making a career out of moving into that leadership space to, try and work in a, in a sector they're not familiar with. Um, mm. and, and whereas on paper, it might seem quite daunting because you're lacking things like market knowledge and network credibility. Actually, what it really enhances is your need to play to the strengths of other people around you. Mm. Um, if I think as, as a leader, if you always feel you need to be the best person in the room, that, that, that's quite limiting. Mm. So one of the key learns for me was was identifying, okay, well, who are the key players within the business? Um, you know, what what do they know? What what can they help with if we're if we're talking about new markets, if we're talking about looking at existing markets that we're in, how can we challenge some of those things? So so getting input from from the experts around you is is key. Um you go into a business like that with zero assumption if i go if i if i was to go straight into another actually I, this this is a you know um an error on my part for example when i made that first move from harvey nash into my first um business um smaller business which was uh, the jm group um you know i went in there knowing loads about technology so i was i was making loads of assumptions about the kind of markets we should be in and, and stuff like that um actually you know, by going into a market that you don't know, you, you don't make those kinds of assumptions. You know, you take time, you're really invested in talking to clients, spending loads of time talking to clients about what their needs are, what, what they see, you know, how the, the market's going to unfold. Um, yeah, so playing to the strengths of others, I, I think, is key on that. Asking good questions um, and, and relying on, on your core kind of management and leadership experience just to get the best out of that situation as you go through that journey yourself of understanding more and becoming more of an expert. Um, mm. and, and, and that was a, that was a really, really good few years for me personally, in terms of moving into a different sector, which also took me internationally. I'd never worked the international markets before. So there were a few things sort of going on, different personalities moving into a different business that, that, that was challenging as well. Um, so there was loads of stuff happening. Um, but yeah, look, if you, if you've got clear purpose as we did, 
you know, we really put the hammer down at that time um, and became, in my view anyway, of course I'm biased, but we were definitely in terms of the leading specialist uh, recruiter in our space at that time. You know, we, we were well up there across Europe, Middle East and Africa. Mm. Um, I, I hope that helps. I don't know if I've answered the question. No, no, that but... does. No, yeah, no, that does. I guess what, what just came up for me, what I was interested, <laughs> like, so, so two things. So one, when you went into... Let's just, yeah, let's just focus on maybe let's just say the hydrogen group for a second. Yeah. When you went into that organization, what did you make sure you didn't do to yeah. get off on the bad foot? Because I think, I think this, like, I think that's what a lot of people are worried about. I think, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know. I, I think everyone's been in there where, yeah, I've, I've been working at an organization for a period of time. They hire a manager externally and yeah, they come in and yeah, try and sort of, let everyone know that they mean business and they're the, they're the leader or manager, or whatever. Do you get what I mean? So I guess, I don't know, yeah, looking back, was there anything that you completely avoided to make sure that maybe well, no, you didn't stuff, fall into that? The stuff that I got, uh, it's definitely stuff I got wrong. Um, uh, and and the, the, I think when I was hired by the CEO, we talked about some of the challenges um, that we would have. And I think the key thing was, that, that was a successful business. Uh, I was the first director level hire into that business. Um, and so integration, my integration into that team was, was important. And I, and I think, mm. I think that bit, cause they, they were all, you know, good people and, and, and were very welcoming to me. So actually that, that worked quite well. If I, if I made a mistake, Hisham, it was, um, I was, all, I think I was trying to force, I, I was trying to make a difference. I was trying to almost just show them and justify my seat at the table. I almost trying to do much, too much too quickly mm. um, by trying to make changes to things that, that weren't necessarily broken. And I think uh, actually, to be fair, the CEO took me, uh, took me to one side and, and said, look, you've got to, you've got to focus on trying to, trying to understand before being understood. So really get, yeah. get, you know, understand what the good stuff is in a business. So you're not trying to change the world. You're not trying to reinvent the wheel. So under, understand what is awesome about that business. Every business will have it. Every business will have that, that bit, whatever it is, or however small it is, doesn't matter, that you can build on and grow rather just, than just trying to bluster in and go, look at me, I'm, why don't we do this? Why don't we do that? Why don't we do this? And, and I think if I had my time again, certainly, or anyone going into that, it would be, look, definitely spend the time getting to know your peer group. Um, get really clear on your expectations. So what does the first mm. 90 days look like? What does the first year need to look like? So everyone knows where you are. You, you know what success looks like, et cetera. But, but, you know, go in there. Don't assume that you need to change the world in your first month. You know, go, understand, ask good questions, understand what the good stuff is and build on that. Yeah, love that. Okay. And then the next thing that was coming up for me, because I think this is probably something you've had to learn, but... Mm. Or, or you've or you've dealt with in the past so i've seen this in various places <clears throat> sort of online forums and just conversations that i have like if you were to ask most recruiters what was the main reason you left your last agency or job right there'll be a few different reasons but one that would definitely be up there top three i'd say is poor leadership yeah. micromanagement yeah 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 i'm just like curious to to hear from you because you just spend so much time in this space like why do you think leaders are unaware 
or are they unaware that they're micromanaging? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think um, I think that's a really, really good point. And um, uh, it's definitely something as an industry that I'd like to see us do better. And, and I think um, a lot of managers manage like that because they were managed like that. Mm. And you almost need to break the cycle. And, and, I, and one of my hopes is that, um, you know, one of the good things that hopefully can come out of, you know, this, this uh, horrific 12 months that we've had and people working from home is that that make, I think, not just in recruitment, actually, you hear a lot of leaders that that prism has almost shifted to being more outcome orientated than, than, than input orientated. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with that. And I, and I also think that, you know, managers are trying to con- sometimes control every single detail and, and almost do almost do the job. You know, it's too directive. You mm-hmm. know, there's not enough, um, you know, coaching, mentoring, delegation. You know, you get to a point where you've got to do it this way. And I think get, people get pretty sick of people trying to do their job for them. It's a bit like kind of, buying a guard dog and, and barking yourself. Why, why would you do that? You've got to, you know, if you've made, you've made the investment, you've made the investment in someone. So, so help them learn and let them get on with it. If they graze their knee a few times, then great. That's where your learning's going to come from. So I do think there's mm. plenty of opportunity. Actually, actually, as I said earlier, I, I think that mid tier of management is, is what leaders should be investing in. You know, that, that ultimately is, is what's going to turn people on or turn people off. You're either going to make awesome consultants, great future leaders, or you're going to lose people out of the business because of the way they're being led. But I, I agree with you. I think that leadership piece is a, is a big reason why people leave companies. The other piece, of course, is just a, what we've talked about already is around engagement. You know, do they believe, do they believe they're part of a journey? Do, 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 is mm. the pain worthwhile? Yeah. Think, do you, so do you think those managers, I know you said it, yeah. it, it may be because they were managed that way. I'm, I'm just like, do you think they're like consciously aware that I'm, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm micromanaging my team here. Like, is it, I know there's so many different nuances, but do you, I don't know, like, do you think that if I was to turn around to you and go, look, look, Rory, let's say now sort of, I've, I've decided to leave and in our sort of, um, yeah, leaving interview, I go, look, I'm, the reason I'm leaving is because I'm micromanaged. Like, do you think most managers that micromanage would be surprised to hear that? Like, do you think they're actually aware that they're, they're micromanaging? Uh, well, look, firstly on that, I'd, I'd want to be clear on on what someone is someone's definition of being micromanaged is because if your manager is showing an interest in your stats and your inputs and things like that, that's not necessarily no. micromanagement. Okay, so so I only say that because you know I've I've definitely interviewed people before that feel that they've been micromanaged or, or had feedback that we're micromanaging. We're actually what we're trying to do is is prevent uh, is present data and statistics so that we don't need to do that but because lack of activity is being highlighted you know people feel additional pressure on yeah that's so, fair it's, it's yeah, yeah. No, you're i'm glad you did that because so, it's a it can be an easy thing to point at from if you're absolutely. not going to take accountability yeah sure get that so so if 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 we take that as the context um look i i think there's a danger that people are celebrating the wrong things and the might and, and the mid managers maybe are being managed themselves like that, you know, may, maybe mm. an awesome month is more about the CVs that have been sent. I mean, I, I walked into a business. Um, uh, I, I walked into a business where the sales floor uh, 
were being managed definitely more on um, the amount of CVs they sent, the amount of spent, the, the amount of time they spent on the phone. And if I went up to any one of them and asked what their um, what their target was in terms of their their uh, you know their billing target, they were less clear on that. But they knew that they had to do this and this, you know, calls and CVs. Mm. Um, you know, and uh, you know, so look, that that's not that's that's the other extreme. It's not healthy. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, interesting. So I guess how, how in your sort of journey then, Rory, how involved, have, I'm, I'm assuming that you w- would have been, but like how involved have you been in sort of hiring for the teams that you've managed and, and the, the businesses you've been involved in? Yeah, a lot. So, um, yeah, at, at all levels. So, um, uh, so I think, yeah, I can think of a number of examples where, where we've hired either associate directors or directors um, at, at a senior level, um, hired uh, within operations too. So whether across finance and HR, all, all the way, all the way through to entry level. You know, I, I, yeah. I enjoy um, uh, vetting and selecting the talent that will come into a company. Um, so yeah, and answer your question yeah. uh, uh, quite a lot. So, let's, so I'm just always because, as I'm sure you'll be aware, and it would have been a pain that you would have experienced. But yeah. obviously, yeah, the the sort of ironic challenge of sort of finding it difficult to recruit for your own recruitment business, right? Yeah. I guess I don't know what have been some of your biggest learns when sort of fighting and wrestling through that challenge of hiring for the teams and businesses that you um, have hired for. P- people want to know, like what is it that you've ended up? I know there'll be di- new, sort of nuances to each business and team that you recruit for, but like what are the actual sort of fundamentals that, that you always look for in, in the people when, when hiring for the teams that you, you've been involved in or hiring for them? Cause uh, that, that's what people want to know. And it's beyond the, yeah, they need to be hardworking and these types of things. You know what I mean? It's people want to know, I don't know what have ended up being the sort of real core ingredients that you end up always trying to find in people when hiring for the businesses that you work for. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, there's a, there's a sense of um, ambition that has to exist. As I said earlier, this this job is is too hard. I think for people starting out, particularly, but it doesn't matter where you are uh, in your journey. It's kind of what's next. You know, why why are you in it? You know what? Uh, you know, and and is that tangible? How how will you know when you get there? Um, mm. So they're working towards something. Um, for me, it's also. Um, I think there's always a danger when you uh, or when people try and hire in their own image. I mm. think um, one of the great things um, uh, to, to try and do is, is, is you hire people that, that might bring something a little bit different. You know, it's either a different approach or they're from a di- different background or, um, or maybe their hobbies are slightly different. Um, but they're just bringing different, they're bringing something that you haven't got already. I mean, if you're, if you're hiring in numbers, then obviously you're going to, you, you know, you're going to get some overlap. Um, but I think the main thing is people with ambitions, people that have, have proved some form of ach- achievement and commitment. Okay. They've, they've either stuck at something or, or they've made something work or, or in their own time, they've achieved something. So some sense of achievement really simply and a sense of where they want to go next, I think is, is, is at a base level, and would you would you be prepared to go out with them? I used to work with a I used to work work with a director whose acid test was would would you go with the would, would you go for a drink with them or not? Yeah, and it's like well, yeah, I guess that that's not a bad starting point. Um, yeah. So yeah, 
Okay. No, yeah. I just, yeah, find that. No, I think you're, you're, I really like the, because you always hear, hear sort of culture fit, don't you? But you're, you're talking about culture ad there, aren't you? And yeah, culture ad. I think things. that culture fit yeah. thing is, is, is potentially quite dangerous. Look, you don't, you don't want people um, who are going to react against stuff all the time. I've, I've actually mm. been that person before where I've kind of reacted against and I've done it for the right reasons to try and make something better. Um, but actually, that's not necessarily helpful. But you want people, yeah, definitely culture ad. It's an evolution. It's not your culture at any one point surely isn't a destination. You know, it's part of the journey. Yeah, love that. And and this sort of sort of goes into this slightly a bit more on the sort of uh, entry or sort of early on um, part of a recruiter's journey. But again, it's another question that I got in my inbox, which was basically you've been involved in, you've had some real solid experience in building teams and developing people and these types of things. So I guess yeah. the, the question was like, how have you in the past or continue at the moment how do you help recruiters that are maybe early on in their journey cope with doubting themselves? Like how, how do you actually help recruiters break through those sort of that, those periods of where they're, yeah, they may not believe or have the confidence that they can do this job and these types of things. That was just one of the questions, which I think can sometimes be a big reason as to why, yeah, the, the sort of turnover or why people leave recruitment. Um, yeah. Just an interesting question I had, like actual advice around yeah. that. And and I think I think one of the key things there, Hishem, is is that is that perspective that someone is taking. You know, um, trying to encourage someone to look at a, a a longer term perspective rather than you know, however bad their current situation is, they're probably looking at a week or they've had a deal drop out or they can't can't get any interviews or you know, those are all those are all things that you can work with. You know, if if someone has the desire and the will to make a success of it, you can mm. work with that. You know, the skill is just stuff you learn, you know, yeah. and people will learn it at different rates, but you'll learn it. And, and if, there's a, is a, if there's a particular area to, to, to adapt and work with, you know, we can do that over a period of time. Um, the, the key thing, it all comes back into, well, why, why did, you know, what was your purpose for coming into this in the first place? Let's try and reconnect with that, you know, yeah. just because it's not working right here and now, you know, especially in the current climate that's no reason to suggest that you won't make a career at a recruitment. You know, I was, I was pretty good as a, as a recruiter. I, I was no way the best, you know, but I probably had that determination and desire just to stick at it and keep on going and, and, and try and learn stuff along the way. Yeah. No, great. And, and then sort of final, final piece on this, which I, I find uh, really interesting because uh, I'm speaking to more and more businesses about it. So uh, I've spoken to a number of recruitment agencies over the last few months who felt who felt like, again, the sort of impact, positive impact of the sort of last 12 months is that it has enabled recruiters to ha- sort of be more open to their like spending time on their own development yeah, and right. personal development. Yeah. So I guess one of the questions that, that I had and, and what someone sort of sent me was around like how – so one, as a recruitment business owner or a, or a manager, I may feel really passionate about that. I think sort of people, my team should adopt, like we should have a learning culture, right? That's something that I believe that we should have. Hmm. So I guess in your experience and in your journey, like how, how have you impacted and have you impacted sort of um, the culture to be more of a learning culture and encourage how, how can people get recruiters to encourage spending time on their own development? Like how, how have companies done this and impacted that? 
Um, I think that's a really, really good question. Um, and I think often uh, people in our industry um, <clears throat> are searching for, and, and, and you know, it comes up in reviews or something. I, I want, I want development. But, but sometimes when you channel into that, it's like, well, what is that? What is development and what? And, that, and that's not always clear. There's just that sense of, well, if you develop me, I'll, I'll get better. So I think you've just got to get clear on what, what are the things that are going to really make a difference. And, and for me, there's a, a clear distinction between sales training, recruitment training, and there are some awesome recruitment trainers out there. Are, are you just trying to get better at the art of recruitment? I call it an art. I'm sure people outside recruitment necessarily call it an art. But, <laughs> you know, it is. It is. You know, it, it, it's, if you do it well, um, it is an art. You know, some people will have better conversion ratios than others. Therefore, they're doing something differently. That is stuff you can learn. Okay. Um, for me, the big difference is is when you start taking that away and you start looking at managing people in terms of you're trying to get in their head a bit. You're managing their mental state. You're managing their perspective. Um, recruitment. It sounds like a really cheesy line, but for me, recruitment. You win or lose in your head. You know, mm. if you are if you are channeled, if you are working in an environment um, that is there to support and promote what you do, um, if you are getting the investment uh, and and your and your mind is together, you are you are game on. Then uh, you know nine times out of ten you'll do well. So, and a lot of that, but we don't really start with that um, that sort of coaching, uh, sort of almost like executive coaching. Really, we don't start people on that journey until they put their hand up for some kind of management or leadership type role that that's the bit that is really worth investing in for me um a because you're shaping careers you're giving people an opportunity to advance themselves but also actually they're learning stuff that is outside recruitment that, that is still really relevant within recruitment mm. that's interesting so I guess as we sort of come towards the end, end here, it'd be great to just talk a bit about the things that the common things that you've been seeing with the people that you've been working with and uh, these types of things. So I guess, like I said in, in, in the introduction, it seems like what you're trying to help a lot of people with now is to sort of fulfill their potential. Yeah. So I guess, and maybe we're talking a bit about here, the sort of mindset, which is what you may boil it down to, but what, what do you think a lot of the time prevents, I don't know, recruitment leaders, business owners, or just teams in general in, in recruitment sort of stop them from holding them back from fulfilling their potential. Do you think what, what do you continue to see and have continued to see over the last six, seven months since yeah, you've been okay. supporting people? So, so I found this bit really interesting. I mean, the great thing about working in a consultancy role is you, you just get exposed to different businesses and you're, and obviously you're not the competition. So so it's great to be able to slice open a business and, and, and just be able to, to look at, A, the stuff that they do really well, but also the, the stuff that needs work. And it, it, it tends to come down to different things. I, I, I think sometimes um, if, we, if we work at the top down, <clears throat> so owners, I think, um, or business leaders <clears throat> often find it difficult to step back from the detail and, and, and look at the broader play. <clears throat> so whether they're in a billing role um, in competition with their other in competition with their other billers, um, you know that that's quite a common situation for for businesses up to a certain size. And I and I use an analogy there of I don't know. Do you ever follow American football or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. Yeah. Okay, so American football. So quick analogy here. 
So American football, you'll know that you get that line of scrimmage, you get an offensive line, you get a defensive line. And the offensive line is obviously just trying to protect their quarterback from the defensive line. So they're both in the, they're both in yeah. the push. Yeah. Okay. The danger with that, with that leading by example uh, leader <clears throat> is that they're in the line of scrimmage with everyone else. So they're, they're doing mm. the pushing and the shoving. The danger there is when they flip the ball back to the quarterback, there's no one there. So there's no one actually taking a more strategic view, calling a longer term play, um, you know, spotting the moves, executing the throw and completing the move. And therefore you all move up the pitch. You know, you're stuck in that moment. So yeah. for owners, sometimes it's a question of giving themselves the space to take a couple of steps back, you know, with, with that ball and look at the opportunities that exist beyond the day, beyond that week, beyond that month. And actually, therefore, they're, they're investing time in the opportunities for the people in their business. So, and again, if you're in that line of scrimmage, you're not doing it. To, you're not doing it just to stay put. You want to move up the pitch. So, although it's great that leadership by example, I'm billing like everyone else, and and I, I totally get that business is up to a certain size and scale. You need to be doing that. There is also an obligation on a leader to be able to take a step back and look at the bigger picture. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, next, next, ne next level down is 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 really in that management tier of of, of combining their own bill billing performance and not becoming almost too much of the quarterback. So almost going, look, seventy percent, eighty percent of your time needs to be on your own billing. So imagine you're in a boat; it's you and you know two or three others. That's your team. Every every time you're taking, you're the best rower in the boat. Every time you're taking your hands off the oars and helping others out, the boat's going to grind to a halt. So. You need to maximize that 20, 30% you're spending with your team, but maintain focus on what you're doing. So it's a completely different dynamic. And then for, for, for recruiters themselves, again, it's a, little bit of, it's a, a little bit of mind space. Why are you doing it? Reconnecting with your journey and your purpose, but also actually holding, a, holding yourself to account as much as possible, staying outcome orientated, but putting in the hard yards that are going to, uh, you know, based on your own conversion ratios, um, to enable you to actually to hit those outcomes, earn the cash, progress, whatever your motivation is, set up that bar in southern Spain, you know, whatever it is, so that you're you're able to to progress and move on. So I guess in a really kind of elaborate um, way, we we come back to it, it's about everyone playing to position. And mm. I think that's where it gets that's where it gets a bit muddled, Hisham, is when you get people who are either uncomfortable in their position or they only know one way of working. <clears throat> Or the situation has kind of pushed them into a different way of working, or, or, or you know, or a poor way of working. So yeah, yeah, everyone playing to position essentially is is probably key. Yeah, no, I love that. That's really interesting. So, look, you've been in the the industry for for some time. So I guess yeah. again, what you just <laughs> spoken about there is you've you've been able to over the last few months have um, yeah unique insight and obviously been involved in yeah different companies in in the last few years. I guess. I don't know when I say to you the future of the recruitment industry or what what sort of companies are doing really well that you think will yeah. enable them to maximize their potential what what comes up for you um so I, I think the companies that 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 do well um are those that have uh, a really clear sense of vision and purpose um they're able to get staff on the journey whatever that whatever the circumstances you know, and I, and I think um, there are those, you know, there are certain companies that I think we'll see that, that, that there are, there'll be winners and losers, losers through this um, coronavirus, um, especially the kind of the working from home piece. If you get your staff on the journey and, they, and then if you're investing 
in your middle management to gain gain the scale and and i think if you if you if you really cut it down into simple segments if a company has a great proposition they're really clear on what their offering is to market you know and they're really clear what that proposition means to the people that work for them if they've got the right people in the right seats and they're also clear about future seats that are available to them um, and you're developing those people and then if you have the right processes in place to ensure that your people have every chance of making a success of their career and they're supported, you know, that's fundamental too. So great proposition, awesome people um, or people with potential and good processes. I think those, those are the things for me that, that for me, if I'm ever looking at a business, those are the three key things that I would look at to try and gauge, you know, the, the sort of impact, if any, that I could have on a, that I could have on a company. Mm. Love that. So I've got five final questions for you before wow. we finish. Okay. Okay. All right. So first one, some easy ones. <laughs> first one is if you could change the industry, what would you improve? Oh my word. Um, okay. What, what, a slight frustration I have, and, and maybe I'm a bit of a purist here, but a slight frustration that I have is, is that a lot of recruitment is becoming increasingly transactional and that the skills of recruiters are being driven more or, or the role of a recruiter is being driven more to, towards administration. So I receive a role over a portal, you know, I use LinkedIn to find a candidate, I match them, and then I'm just going to sit there and cross my fingers. I might organize a few interviews along the way, but let's hope we've got a deal. I, I would like to see recruiters, if, if, if I could, you know, um, change something, uh, step up in terms of um, professionalism and partnership. Um, and, I, and I would love to see recruiters have more confidence, more pride in what they do um, and look to influence through that process. I, I always use a, a mantra of, of, of three things. I think the most important thing for any recruiter is to be memorable. OK, but in order to do that, um, for me, it's be relevant, be niche, be valued. You know, be relevant, be contemporary. You're working markets that are adding real value. Okay, be niche, be an expert in what you do, and be valued. You know, it's not just about bum on the seat. Yes, you need to do that really effectively, but be more than that. Be a partner. And I think if I could change right. the sector, that that's what I would try and that's what I would try and achieve. Cool. So my second question is. Mm. What, what book have you read that has had the biggest impact on you? If you're not a reader, that could be a podcast or an audio book that you listen to. But yeah. I love your podcast, obviously. <laughs> um, so um, I, I don't usually go for the, for the business books in a major way. But actually, um, during the lockdown period and this sort of extended period with, with coronavirus, um, I, I have read a few of them. And I, and I think the one... Uh, that has resonated most with me um, is by uh, Matthew Syed, who, who writes at the Sunday Times. He, he has a book called Rebel Ideas. And um, it's, it's the power of what it's basically talking about is the power of diversity and not necessarily from um, an ethnic or, or a gender perspective, although that's certainly part of it. But it's it's the power of having people with different perspectives and different insight, different backgrounds, different influences in a room. 
making a decision or trying to create a solution to a problem rather than um, what I've certainly seen in the past, which is people in the room are all very similar. They all think the same mm. way. You know, the, the, there's um, no confrontation. There's no conflict. It's all about agreement and, and just getting behind the leader and go, yeah, great idea. Um, so yeah, Rebel, Rebel Ideas by Matthew Side, I think is, is really, really good. And he, he uses some great examples um, in there about how that has, um, you know, h- how that diversity element has helped come to better decisions. Nice. So slightly different one here. What, mm. what did you spend your first biggest commission paycheck on? God, you know, as you've said, this has been a long journey for me. I'm struggling <laughs> to think back that far, uh, Hisham. Um, look, my, my, you know, back in the day, there were a bunch of us, uh, this is in the mid-90s now, where we just wanted to earn, I think the, the key target was we all just wanted to earn £100,000. Yeah. And back, back in those days, if you, if you take inflation year on year, it's probably 200 grand now, okay? Yeah. Um, that, that was what we were just gunning for that. Um, and I remember the guy who got there first, he, he was very, very good. Uh, <laughs> and so, so yeah, we, we, that's what we all wanted to do. I, I'm not sure there was anything. I don't remember going out and splashing out on, on anything. I've never really been into, into watches or cars and things like that. But I do think I, it probably got me on the property ladder. So I, I got my first flat. Um, bearing in mind, I, I joined recruitment. I was 25. I got my first flat at 27. Oh, um, amazing. Well, I didn't own it outright, to be fair, but I had a, a really chunky deposit down on it. Um, and that probably enabled me to then, you know, move fairly quickly up the housing ladder. And it was probably that, you know, if it hadn't been for rec- recruitment, I would have never been able to do that. I mean, uh, you know, so, yeah, if you get this right, it, it can, it can change your life. So, um, but I'm afraid that that's probably not a very, you probably expect a far more exciting uh, anecdote than <laughs> no, that. Putting, no, putting, it into, putting it into a flat is probably not what you had in mind, but that's, I think no. that's probably what I did. No, get, getting on the property ladder is, is quite a popular one. So yeah. f- final question is, uh, yeah, I'll, I guess it's still sort of relevant, but I guess my final question always is sort of what, what's the ultimate goal for your recruitment career now? So that could be, yeah, what's the ultimate goal for your career now, Rory? Okay, look, I'm, I'm still passionate about this sector. Um, and, uh, you know, I really uh, enjoy the potential that it gives my, my perspective. If I can be if I can be part of, you know, uh, a, another or a few more um, really impressive growth stories. And if I can look in another five, 10 years at people, specifically leaders that I've just helped shape along the way, um, you know, that would be a great glass of wine to, to maybe reflect on that and um, uh, and look at and look at those individuals and and hopefully you know as I said you know being part of being part of a growth thing I, I I fell out of love with the with the with the corporate world for me it's always been about almost supporting the underdog of taking something with huge potential and growing it and I, I think yeah I've got another ten years of doing that amazing Rory it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. No, thank you very much. Good. Well done on making it to the very end of the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've done my very best to try and level up this podcast that will hopefully mean that you can take even more learnings from these conversations and apply it to your own recruitment career. 
like always, if there are any particular topics that you would love me to cover with future guests, then please get in touch with me. The best place to reach me is on LinkedIn. Send me a message. What would you love me to cover with future guests? And if you have enjoyed the podcast, then it would be amazing if you could leave a honest review in your favorite podcast streaming platform. That will simply mean that we're able to reach more people with this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe completely free on your favorite podcast streaming platforms. And we'll be back next week with a new episode of the Recruitment Mentors Podcast.